Winning the downturn with the information is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. Welcome to Winning the Downturn, a limited series covering how tech startups and small businesses are adapting to the new economic reality. This year, we've seen companies react to interest rate hikes and slowing consumer demand by laying off staff and pulling back on other spending. This environment has also forced healthy conversations about how businesses should focus and what kind of software they should be using to win during this downturn. My name is Amir Efradi, executive editor at The Information, a subscription technology news publication. And in each episode, I'll be talking with leaders in all kinds of industries, from retail and mobility to healthcare and finance, about how they've navigated prior economic storms and what they're doing to survive the current one. Today, I'm joined by Adrian Ayun, CEO and founder of healthcare startup Forward. Adrian became the ultimate Silicon Valley insider after selling an AI company to Google nearly a decade ago. He helped Larry Page, Google's co-founder and CEO at the time, to launch Alphabet, a holding company for Google and other business bets. Then Adrian surprised everyone by starting a subscription-based healthcare company in 2017. The whole thing started after his brother had a heart attack, suddenly putting health front and center for Adrian. He applied an engineering lens to the industry and realized that life expectancy hadn't gone up very much in the last 5,000 years despite all of humankind's technological advances and that billions of people still don't have regular access to healthcare. It's still very early days for Forward, which operates in 25 cities in the US. Adrian talked to us about the unique way he's running his team, the culture inside his company, and why his employees aren't called employees. Here's Adrian. The whole reason we started Forward is we looked around and we said, look, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Less than 2 billion of them have access to any form of real care. And so think about why, right? Because if I came up to you and I said, hey, hey, Amir, I want to get doctors to the whole planet, right? I want to get doctors to billions of people, to the middle of India, the middle of Rwanda, to billions of people. You're going to say, Adrian, where the hell are you going to get all these doctors and who the hell is going to pay for them? But if I walked up to you and I said, you know what, Amir, I want to get smartphones to the whole planet, to the middle of India, the middle of Rwanda, to billions of people, you're going to say, Adrian, not only do I think it's possible, I think you're a little late to the game. I think it's kind of already happened. So what do you intuitively know? Well, you intuitively know that humans don't scale in a way that technology does. Or another way to say it is doctors don't scale in a way that hardware and software does. So at Ford, we only have one key insight that we believe that no one else believes, which is we believe healthcare should be a product, not a service. In other words, all we want to do is we want to take every single thing that doctors and nurses are doing and just migrate it over to hardware and software. That way, what we can do is scale it up to billions and billions of people. And so when you look at what we've done today, you, you obviously, we started with what you can roughly think of as our, our Model S, right? Eventually, we'll go to the Model 3, but the Model S is we built these basically high-end doctor's offices. They're alive in about 25 cities, and what we do is in essence, you, we watch everything that's happening inside of those doctor's offices. So you come in, you sit in an exam chair, you talk to your doctor about the flu. We immediately go, wait, why, why'd you even come in? Why not build that into the mobile app? 
Next person comes in, they sit in the exam chair, they talk to their doctor about their skin issues. We go, great, why not build a skin scanner? Next person comes in, they talk to their doctor about their heart issues. We go, why not build a body scanner? And slowly but surely, what you see we're doing is we're just migrating every single thing from doctor and nurse to hardware and software. So what you realize is that at the limit, Forward doesn't build doctor's offices, we just build hardware and software. In fact, we don't even believe doctor's offices should exist. When you ask, okay, but what's the price? Well, think about where we're going. So we start today at $149 a month, but pretty soon we'll be at 99 and then 79 and then 59 and 49 And we're just going to keep driving that cost down until we're literally healthcare for billions of people at pennies on the dollar in the middle of Rwanda. That's where we're going. What do you think are the lessons that you learned from your first company a pure kind of software company, natural language processing, and and so on, that you're now adopting in your current company. What have you taken from your prior entrepreneurial experience over? One of the first things that I found to be incredibly, incredibly valuable, and I think it's something that has been pretty different probably than most other people, especially in Silicon Valley, is, you know, most people start companies because they're looking to IPO them. Most people start companies because they're looking to, I don't know, get famous or make a quick buck. And honestly, that is just not why I start things. I'm doing this because I, I want to solve problems that matter for humanity. The people who are at Forward are here because we truly, deeply care about what we're doing. And so it's a pretty different world. We're here for the long run. We are not like come to this company, spend 18 months and hop to the next unicorn and the next unicorn and the next unicorn. I'm going to be doing this in 10 years. I'm going to be doing this in 20 years, right? This is a long road. Getting healthcare to a billion people is not something that will happen quickly. And we know that. And when you, uh, you said you, you want to serve a billion people, where are you at today? How, how many people are you serving in your, in your various markets? Yeah. When you think about a billion, we are nowhere. We are at the very beginning. But let me go further. The largest healthcare system on the entire planet is a rounding error to zero. So Kaiser is 75 years old and has about 10 million lives. If Kaiser was a tech company, you would have never heard of it and you wouldn't have the app on your phone. So the only question that you have to ask yourself is, can you get any healthcare system to go exponential? If you can, the world is going to look incredibly different. And if you can't, none of this is going to matter. So all that we work on is, can we get a healthcare system to go exponential? Can we get forward to go exponential? We think that we can. We think there's a real chance that we can, but we have not done that yet. It's a little like saying, hey, can you uh, can you get to Mars? Well, you know what? You know, the first day we're going to get to Mars is the first day we get to Mars. And we'll let you know when we do. No, and, and you know, Figma, which was just acquired for $20 billion by, by Adobe is another great lesson in this, right? Uh, took a long time, close to zero, and then suddenly a hockey stick up and very, very high out of nowhere. So in in terms of what you use internally to to power your business, to empower your your employees, can you talk a little bit about the kind of software and other technology choices that you made to help everyone be more efficient, help solve these problems, measure what they need to measure, and so on? Yeah. So, well, the first thing is, let's not call them employees, because employees almost implies that they work for a company and that the company comes first. And I want to touch on this because it might be even more important than the tools that we use. The people at Ford, they work for the mission. They don't work for me. Um, And this is really, really important, which means if I tell them to do something that's stupid for the mission, they will not do it. Now, 
if you are really smart and you care to live your life in service of others, you care to truly help others, then actually you realize that my job is to get the hell out of their way. See, most companies, what they do is they start by saying, well, you're smart, but you don't actually care about the mission. You don't care about the company. So what, what's the CEO's job? It's almost to protect the company from you. They're kind of sitting on the other side of the table from you. Whereas I say, no, no, no. You care about this mission as much as I do. You say empowering, but that's almost a weird way to imply it because that implies that it's my job to give them authority. No, 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 no. They have authority. It would be my job to take it away. And it turns out that actually when you, when you take this approach, give people the information, be incredibly transparent and just trust them, but also expect a lot from them that actually people will rise to the occasion and people will do amazing things. And what that's powered by, um, uh, that's, that's enabled by a modern set of tools, right? Now, the tools basically democratize things. They democratize things like decision-making. They democratize things like information. But in essence, it all comes down to your basic human factors of like, we build relationships with each other. We are an incredibly in-person culture. We do not do the Zoom thing. We do not do the work from home thing. We are like actually incredibly against it. And the reason for this is because it's hard to have, it's hard to get on the same page. It's hard to have that level of trust. It's hard to have that level of relationship, especially through tough, tough decisions uh, and the ups and downs. And so we both rely on technology and we do the good old fashioned, you know, sit the hell next to somebody and get to know them. A reminder that today's episode is supported by Intel. Across any business, PC users look to IT heroes to save the day. With Intel vPro, IT gets the powers of security, performance, manageability, and stability on a validated PC solution. Intel vPro, built for business. No product or component can be absolutely secure. Your costs and results may vary. On the, on the technology side, we did a, a survey, and I, I think vast majority of people certainly when they're thinking about small and medium-sized businesses, they really think that analytics and measurement are just things that need to be prioritized much more than they are. Can you talk a little bit about the role of analytics in your company? Sounds like measuring things is pretty important for you. Yeah, I mean, without question, like knowledge is power. I think I learned that in like second grade, right? And so the more information we can collect, the better. But we are not a data-driven organization. That would be a really poor way to describe us. We are a data-informed organization. And by that, what I mean is, in many ways, your intuition, your creativity, your first principles reasoning will often uh, factor in as much, if not more, than just what you can kind of get from a piece of data. There's you know, no spreadsheet was going to tell you to build the iPhone with no keyboard, right? I promise you that. And so this is why I say we're data informed, which means take the data, use it to inform your thinking, but don't use it to constrain your thinking. There's sometimes where you want to throw that data away, and there's sometimes where you want to uh, use it immensely. When it comes to getting the word out about what you do, about your product, about your membership, how can you talk about your experience in that realm and any, any lessons that you've learned in the last couple of years of how to kind of get the word out? In some ways, whenever you are doing a paradigm shift, you have a tax to pay. Let's say that, let's, let's look at some examples. So when, when Elon said, hey, I want to shift the world to electric cars, he had a tax to pay, which was he had to get everybody to rebuild the energy infrastructure, right? It's like, 
yeah, buy the car, but oh, by the way, you got to put a charger in your house. It's like, dear God. When, when Apple said buy an iPhone, it's like, yeah, not only buy the iPhone, but you know what? All those devices you have from your Garmin GPS unit to your Sony Walkman to your Nikon camera, all those things are going to get trashed. And you're going to move into this app store kind of uh, you know world. And oh, by the way, all those developers need to kind of rebuild all their apps, right? And in our case, like the main, the main price to pay, if you think about it, is that the existing world is basically this insurance-based world. And we said, yeah, we think that's all wrong. And so you, nobody wakes up today going, you know what I really want? I really want a subscription-based healthcare service, right? And so we have to kind of re-educate you into this new world. And there's multiple ways that you can do that. One is you can do that obviously via marketing. Another is that you can do that via just getting people to try your product more. And what you realize is that early on, folks like us will usually start with marketing and as they progress, they will usually just try and get their product out to people more and more and more as they achieve more and more scale. And that's probably the path that you're going to see us go down. Um, I think that's a far more compelling thing to do. I'm wondering what are kind of like the best examples of the features and the elements of a membership that are hooking customers or preventing them from churning or what you know keep, keeping them keeping them happy and feeling fulfilled in what they're trying to do yeah so what's interesting about what's interesting about healthcare is it's almost like when you look at your iphone and by that what i mean is the way apple sells an iphone to my mom is that she gets to look at pictures of her grandkids. And the way Apple sells the iPhone to, I don't know, my cousin is that she can make music on it. And the way the Apple sells the iPhone to me is that I can, you know, um, log my bike rides and my hikes. And what you realize is that the iPhone is roughly this kind of horizontal platform. It's a little like what you make of it, right? And when you think of healthcare, you're going to kind of see the same thing, right? So for some people, the idea is uh, you have a family history of skin cancer. And to you, that's the thing that really matters. For other people, it's, you know, I just want to grow old to be able to kind of spend more time with my kids. And so I wouldn't try and base, I would not try and take any particular feature and say that just because you have a feature, it lands with each person in exactly the same way. So as a wrap-up thoughts, we're obviously in a kind of recessionary phase. You know, when you are talking to other peers in healthcare or in totally different industries, people who are running companies, what are you telling them right now? What's your biggest piece of advice? Or what are you asking people uh, in terms of how to think about the next year, the next couple of years, what to do to kind of prepare for potential slower growth or shrinkage of the economy? Well, I think what's a little different about forward is that when you take the view of, I want to get healthcare to a billion people, as opposed to the view of, I just want to IPO this company in the next 18 months, which is what most people are trying to do, then you start planning across a longer time frame. You start thinking, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that we're here in 10 years and in 20 years? And when you do that, you kind of take these, these ups and downs of the market and you smooth out that curve. And immediately what it encourages you to do is say, you know, like as an example, you know, there was this obviously huge SPAC craze and we got inbounded by probably 25 people who wanted to SPAC us. And what I did with every single one of those emails was delete, 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 because I said, you know what? No question we could IPO this thing. And no question 18 months from now, our company will be doing terribly, right? And that's exactly what you see. And so I said, like, there's get-rich-quick schemes. Don't play into them. Play for the long term. And so you have to ask yourself, what is your goal? If your goal is to, like, just flip something, then yeah, play into the get-rich-quick scheme. And if your goal is to be around in 10 years, just 
at some point, like, don't be an idiot. There is no such thing as a get rich quick scheme. And so, so what we've tried to do is we've tried to say, like, the world is going to do what the world's going to do. It's going to have its ups, it's going to have its downs, but you have to set your own plan and you have to march to your own tune. And that's worked pretty well for us. So yeah, we're going to adapt a little here and there, but frankly, mostly what we're going to do is we're going to stay tried and true to our plan. We've never once pivoted from that plan. We've never, you know, we've never once moved away from it. Um, and, you know, hopefully that works. I'm now very tempted to go to Kearney Street and check out the latest, the latest with your with your office and, and what you're doing inside. Thank you for for the time for explaining how you're looking at turning this industry upside down and good luck. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, Amir. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for listening to Winning the Downturn, brought to you by the information and supported by Intel. Stay tuned for a spotlight segment with Kate Porter, an Intel senior director. Kate, you work for a chip maker, but you're also selling software and computers to small businesses. Why should small and medium businesses care about this? What's in it for them? We like to think of our small business IT staff, frankly, as IT heroes, because if we think about what small businesses have had to do in the face of a, you know, the pandemic and a lot of disruption into their supply chains, they've had to become very digitally enabled in enabling their workforce to do their best work. And so from an Intel perspective, we looked at the business computing platform that makes PCs professional grade. And we said, we need to bring this into a modern era that's not just about solving enterprise problems, but solving businesses problems of all sizes. And so what that allowed us to do is really take a look at the productivity tools that we put into our CPUs, into the firmware, into the software that comes to life through our OEM partners' devices. And we were able to extend those into more environments where small businesses can have their employees be more productive. They can multitask faster. They can connect more seamlessly. They can hold confident wireless calls for video collaboration. It didn't stop with productivity. It also extends into security. That's an area where we absolutely wanted to extend a multi-layer approach at the PC from hardware through software and firmware and make sure that additional protections are coming to businesses of all sizes. Winning the Downturn is produced by Studio Pod Media. Our producer is Sterling Shore. Our show coordinator is Nicole Genova. And our executive producer is TJ Bonaventura. Special thanks to John Brierly and Julie Kerner from The Information. My name is Amir Efrati. See you next time.